This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on Episode 9 of Season 2, we're joined by Dr. Jenny Davidson, pulse pathologist at the South Australian Research Institute, or SARDI, in Adelaide, South Australia. Jenny works on diseases mostly of lentils, chickpeas, field peas, and fava beans. She leads a team of a number of scientists and technicians who are looking for tools they can give growers to keep pulse diseases under control. In 25 years of doing this work with pulse crops, she's seen diseases and genetic resistance to those diseases come and go. We're going to talk about that effort to combat these pulse diseases, especially Ascochyta, in today's episode. You'll get a sense of the unified effort in Australia to find effective ways to manage these pathogens, what it's like to lose resistance, and what growers and researchers alike can do to contribute to fighting these diseases. I wanted to start today's episode, though, by having Jenny share about how Australia has been able to make such tremendous strides when it comes to research in plant pathology of pulses. What we've done in pulse pathology across the nation, each each of our state governments have got pulse pathologists or each of the areas that are interested in pulses. So it's actually across the nation a really, really small team. And as you know, with science and research funding, there is not a lot of money to go around. So rather than competing, we're collaborating. We have to collaborate with each other. And so then you start to get this team of people working together and being very open in our science and working as a team so that one group might do one aspect of the science and another group might do a different aspect of the science and then we all bring it together. We've been very careful to get together at least once a year and share our science and try and get out in the field with each other and compare what's going on. So there's been, I think, that that really strong collaborative effort which is brought about because it is just such a small team of people We've had these very strong links to ICADA in the early stages when it was based in, in Aleppo in Syria so that getting the germplasm out of ICADA has been a very, very important component of what we've been doing as well. So it's been strong links with breeding programs, strong links across the pathology group and then um, those links back to the germplasm coming from international sources. ICARDA that she mentions there is the International Center for Agriculture Research in dry areas. With pulses growing in popularity in Australia, Jenny says she focuses a lot these days, and has for a while, on Ascochyta. We started out, and still do really, have a big focus on Ascochyta blight, because each of these crops have their own version of Ascochyta blight. And as I said, in a rain-fed growing system, this is a major impact on the crops. I will say that From in the early 2000s, when we were looking at these crops, we had a lot of resistance sitting in our varieties. As we brought the breeding programs forward, then resistance breeding was a major, major factor in those breeding programs. So about 2005, somewhere in there, I was sitting back feeling really cruisy because we had resistance across lentils, faba beans and chickpeas. And so we were starting to think, well, we needed to focus now more on some of the other diseases that aren't quite so regular, things like chocolate spot and botrytis. But subsequently, of course, we've now lost resistance in many of those crops. So we've swung right back now to Ascochyte, still being the major disease that we're having to struggle with. As you just heard, the story of Ascochyta is one of working hard to develop resistant varieties 
then eventually losing that resistance and going back to the drawing board. I asked Jenny to explain in more detail exactly how that happens. When we first had chickpeas in Australia in the sort of 1990s, it was a new crop and a lot of growers were getting very excited about it. It was quite lucrative and we'd started to get varieties that suited the Australian environment. And then it was 1998 when we started to see Ascochyta moving in the Australian industry. And 98 was a very wet season for us. And so the Ascochyta blight was out of control. We had growers putting out 10, 15 fungicide sprays and still losing the entire crop. So we had no resistance in any of our material because Ascochyta blight hadn't been a problem for us. So the industry died overnight, but we still had a um, breeding program, a publicly funded breeding program. I don't know if you know the GRDC, the Grains Research Development Council, which is our national levy that where our grain levy goes to the GRDC and they send out the money for grains research. So the GRDC were funding a chickpea breeding program. And so they continued to fund that, even though the industry had effectively died across the whole nation. And so by about five or six years after 98, so it was the early 2000s, the program had brought in lines from ICADA and selected those that were adapted to the Australian environment and had resistance to ascochyta blight. So it was around 2005, 2006, we had a couple of really good germplasm lines that were released to industry and said, hey, these are totally resistant, and the industry started to pick up again. And it especially picked up in that northern New South Wales, Queensland region, that subtropical region over the eastern states I was talking about. And that peaked in about 2014, somewhere around there, at about over a million hectares in that region. So you can see it was a reasonably good industry. Down south, the industry was not as big, but it was starting to pick up and people were getting a lot more confidence in the crop in that region. But then it was 2015, so just six years ago, when in one location down south, we started to notice pretty severe ascochyta blight on a variety that should have been resistant. So we did a lot of testing and realised that, yes, this, this was genuine. It had overcome the resistance at that location. And then the following season, over in South Australia, so we're talking over a 1,000 kilometres away, we saw the same thing. I still don't know how that happened because we've got huge distance in between these areas and yet within a season of each other, we've got this resistance breakdown happening, exactly the same form of resistance breakdown. We couldn't track any seed transfers, anything like that. And then over the whole southern region, over the next two to three years, all of our chickpeas became susceptible, highly susceptible to ascochyta blight. So the resistance had lasted up to sort of 10 years and then suddenly all at once it came crashing down. And northern region guys at that point were still feeling quite comfortable because there's quite, a, again, a physical distance between the northern and the southern growing regions, and they were growing different cultivars. But in the last two to three years, again, the resistance in those cultivars has just about gone. So everything we're growing in Australia right now 
is either very susceptible, susceptible or moderately susceptible. So our growers have to put a minimum of three to four fungicide sprays. If they're growing a moderately susceptible crop, we're telling them to budget a minimum of four foliar fungicide sprays to get that crop through to yield. And if they're growing a susceptible crop, we're saying just start spraying as it comes out of the ground and don't stop spraying or you won't get it through. So, you know, they're, they're obviously got to look at the economics of that and will only grow a susceptible crop if it's a very lucrative one. They've got to be forward-looking at the markets to make those decisions. I think many of us non-scientists can lose sight of how invested researchers like Jenny are in their work. I mean, you can hear it in her voice how frustrating these challenges are. Incredibly frustrating, yes. And particularly how to deal with this, because if it was a major gene resistance, you go, well, that's to be expected. If we had the ascospores creating the new sorts of forms, you go, yeah, well, that's to be expected. But when you've got this asexual conidial type of pathogen and you've got this quantitative resistance, you don't have major resistance, you're just not ready for it to come crashing down like that. And where to go from there when over the world people have been trying to home in on what are the resistance genes. So there's no easy answer to go, okay, we'll use this gene and that gene because you don't have the major genes sitting in there. It is a whole mash of minor genes that somehow we've got to pull together and overcome. She says they have a pretty good understanding of the epidemiology of Ascochyta. And in the case of lentils and fava beans, they have a pretty good program for control. Chickpeas, though, is another story. With chickpeas, because there's such a high level of susceptibility and this disease moves so quickly, it's not so straightforward. And so if we say to our growers, well, look, spray ahead of every rain front or the sort of pattern we're trying to give them, they're ending up some seasons having to spray more than somewhere between six or ten sprays in a crop, and that becomes uneconomic. So that's where some of the difficulties are coming in of trying to resolve the chickpea side of things in terms of just overall management. So what we're very keen on is going down the pathway of resistance and how do we retain resistance? Because we've had resistance in chickpeas, but we've lost it. So that we've done, and I'm saying we from a national perspective, what the Australian researchers have done in investigating the, the pathology of Ascochyta rabii in chickpeas is looking at the population variability of that pathogen. Because obviously if you put out resistant types, you're then putting a selection pressure on the pathogen to um, create types that can overcome that resistance. So we need to understand what the pathogen's doing. And there's been a lot of work looking at population variability and molecular sequencing of all these different isolates. And one of the things we've worked out, which for ascochyta and chickpeas in Australia is quite different to the rest of the world, is that we have only got one mating type here. And so what happens usually with ascochyta, you have the two mating types and um, you get a, a sexual form of ascospores that are spread in the wind. And that provides a lot of variability in the population. We only have one mating type here. We have tested thousands upon thousands of isolates. We've definitely only got the one mating type. So all of that 
spread of disease is just coming from that asexual production. We're not getting that mix from the sexual production. And yet we've still got this massive resistance breakdown. Whereas conversely with Lentus and Fabi, we do have both mating types. We're getting the sexual form of the ascospores. We're getting that airborne spread. And yet we don't have such a major dramatic amount of disease sitting in our crops. We've got a level of disease we can handle. We do get resistance breakdown, but our growers can still manage the situation. So it just points out to us the, the fierceness of ascochyta in chickpeas, that even when you've only got that conidial phase, it is still able to morph and change and overcome the resistances we're dealing with. As you can appreciate from what Jenny just said there, finding solutions to fight this nasty pathogen is no easy task. But Jenny and colleagues have assembled a comprehensive and collaborative effort among scientists and technicians to do everything they can to help growers with this problem. Yeah, so again, this is something that the GRDC have invested in and that again, they've taken that national approach and they brought together the team teams of, of people with breeding experience, pathology experience, molecular. And so we're looking at both the pathogen and the host. What they've come up with is a program that has five individual projects, but they're all working together in different areas to try and pull everything together. So, so the five programs, I'll just sort of very briefly go through them. The first one, which is based up in Queensland, is looking at the pathogen and it's looking at the variability of the population and trying to um, understand what actually makes them different, what's creating the aggressiveness in one isolate versus the aggressiveness in the other. So that team have set up what we call an Australian host differential set because we've got a series of cultivars or breeding lines that are responding differently to different isolates. So they set this up with information from the breeder about what they're using as their, their breeding resistant parent. And so over the nation, we're collecting isolates of Ascochyta rabii, and they're all being sent to the group in Queensland, and they're testing all those isolates on those differential host sets to put them into pathotype groups and work out which are the most aggressive, etc. Then they're doing the molecular sequencing on those to try and link a molecular tag to the aggressiveness of those isolates so that we sort of get some idea of what the pathogen itself is doing. So GRDC have also funded an international group led by ACADA in Egypt, and that group are doing a similar thing but on an international basis. So the international group are looking to pull together an international host set. So they've connected to groups in North America, in North Africa, India, Pakistan, obviously Australia, a few other places around the Mediterranean that grow chickpeas. And they're trying to get together the group of cultivars from all of those regions that have shown any resistance to, to Ascochytoblite. Similarly then from each of these groups, we get the isolates of Ascochytoblite that have shown different reactions. So they're trying to pull together an international host set and an international isolate set. And then again, the molecular sequencing of those isolates to try and understand what is different about each of these isolates 
that might be linked to their aggressive reactions or their non-aggressive reactions, whichever way it is. So that's, that's sort of about the pathogen and trying to understand what's actually going on there. Third program, which I'm sort of involved in, is looking at the host. So we're looking at getting in as much germplasm as we can from around the world. A lot of it's coming out of the Akata collections, but there are other groups as well. And so we take the knowledge from the first two programs about the pathogen, we take the most aggressive isolates that they've identified, and we're screening as much germplasm as we possibly can, you know, obviously to identify the resistant germplasm. From there, again, there's a lot of molecular sequencing of the host to then match that up with what, what's actually going on here. What are the QTLs? What are the molecular responses to the infection? So we can try, hopefully, and find out what are the resistance genes. As I said, there's no major genes, but if we can pull together and identify a string of these minor genes, obviously then it's about, well, it used to be called pyramiding. We're actually going down a different pathway of genomic selection which I'm guessing a number of your audience will understand what that is. But this is a more modern way of trying to pull together all the necessary genes that you need when you're looking at these sort of quantitative traits. So that's sort of a fairly early component. I mean, obviously, there's been some work in the past trying to find resistant germplasm, but this is a much bigger task than certainly we've ever done in Australia and very targeted in terms of what isolates we're doing and then perhaps looking at multiple isolates, trying to find a whole range of different resistances. So I do a lot of the screening here on campus under sort of irrigation and misting, but again, where we can control it so that we've only got single isolates. The fourth program from there is to do the screening in a field situation because you've got to make sure that what you're selecting is actually going to work in the field. So that's happening over in Victoria with our colleagues at Horsham. They've got some fantastic field nurseries that they've set up with overhead irrigation. So there's tens of thousands of plots that are going through that system as well. And then the final program is coming back to disease management. How do we then translate all of this and get it out to the grower? So it's looking again at fine-tuning some of that risk management that we were talking about early on and perhaps modelling some of the disease spread in different environments because as I explained at the beginning we are growing chickpeas in very different environments around Australia and so the disease risk is quite different so they're going to look at some of those sorts of things but also as the germplasm comes through the program they'll be looking at how does this germplasm fit into these disease management strategies so it's a real whole chain of of research from very beginning to delivery to growers and the germplasm that we come up with, that's not actually ready for release. What we're hoping is that the resistance that we can get into adapted backgrounds then is handed over to the national breeding programs to get it into something that farmers will really want to grow. So it's a complete beginning to end program to try and cover off on the whole thing. Obviously quite an undertaking. And I asked Jenny what her message would be to farmers out there who also might want to assist in the effort to find solutions long-term for this disease. 
The main message is really be very, very diligent in monitoring your crops because these diseases can get out of control very quickly. And so be very diligent. And as soon as you see anything, get into contact with your local pathologist so that you get the feedback about what's actually going on and how you can get these things under control. And if it's a new disease in particular, because these things can spread very, very quickly. And the sooner you can get it under control, the less damage is going to be happening and the less likely it's going to spread across your whole farm and then into your neighbour's farm. So have that relationship with your local pathologist and make sure that you know who they are and, and what their contact details are and use the expertise that they've got. And I think one more takeaway we should probably add here is to be proactive because resistance does not last forever. Absolutely. Resistance is never forever. I gave a, a talk on this a few years back and I actually used the title of my talk was Askakaida Does Not Sleep because we'd just been caught out. You know, we'd, we'd sort of been riding on our optimism for about 10 years because we had all this resistance and then suddenly everything came crashing down and went, yeah, this is something that we, we just cannot sit back and say, yeah, we've got this one resolved. It's just going to keep cycling around and we have to keep a step ahead of it. Keeping a step ahead. I think that's a great theme for today's episode and a great place to wrap things up. Thanks so much to Dr. Jenny Davidson for being on the show. Such an interesting profile of how much research and collaboration goes into finding the solutions to manage these diseases that can be so devastating for growers. Thanks so much for listening and make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss our next episode with Dr. Shama Chatterton. If you grow pea or lentil crop and then you notice that you have a root rot issue in your field one year, our recommendation now is to stay out of that field for at least six to eight years. But then, so one of the big questions that producers would have is, well, when is it safe for me to go back into that field and when can I plant pea and lentils again? Uh, so that's what we're trying to develop some tools so that producers can test their soils, get an idea of what pathogens are in their soils, the quantity of pathogens in their soils, and then know whether it's safe to plant pea or lentil again. Again, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that upcoming episode. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, as well as the North Central IPM Center and USDA NIFA. We're releasing these episodes every other week throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure the information is relevant to you. So please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions by using the hashtag #GrowingPulseCrops, and we'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks.